for me. <laughs> nah, it would. All right, we're gonna try this again, Vocal Fam. Round two. Round two. Technical difficulties. Uh, okay. Again, we have a new audio setup. We're 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 trying to make all this work. Um, unfortunately, uh, we have our dear friend Dr. Joshua Glasner with us, who also happens to be an expert in digital signals processing, and so uh, that's not what he's here to talk about today. Well, not really, but uh, he was helping us out with our audio setup. Um, we have uh, some new equipment, so now you can hear Sarah. Indeed, and but without now, and, everything. And now you can also hear Liz. Yep. Ah, <laughs> fantastic. Joshua, welcome back to Vocal Fry. Thank you so much. We had Josh on back at the beginning of the season for our season premiere uh, on flipping the pedagogy frame with our dear friend Yvonne Redman on a session we had done at Nats National. Go back and listen to that from, I don't know, August or September? Oh, uh, yep. One of those. One of those. <laughs> it was in one of those months. One of those. That was a long time ago. Um, and if you joined us last week, I, I, I hope you did join us last week for you acoustics nerds. Um, we had a lovely episode with Dr. Ian Howell on um, his kind of push right now to move the voice pedagogy field toward thinking and considering the transient theory of voice production alongside of our common way of thinking about uh, the of voice acoustics in, in the steady state or harmonic theory, uh, kind of talking about harmonics and formats. Um, and I, in this little kind of, I guess, two-part series, I don't know that we're, because we're not taking it next week any further. That's true. This is, this is sort of the end. Um, but uh, I wanted to have Joshua on for a while because in his dissertation, uh, where he analyzed a whole lot of historical recordings of st stuff, <laughs> um, which he could tell us about, he used a measurement called spectral moments, which is a statistical analysis uh, uh, form of would we say form of statistical analysis method 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 of statistical analysis um, and uh, when he was analyzing his uh, recordings in terms of rather than just you know using the common steady state theory and looking at harmonics and formats um, and I wanted to have Josh on just to talk about that in case any of you were young scholars or maybe scholars can trying to consider how you look at sound just to put a cap on that, um, last week, as we consider the transient theory, one of the things and one of the takeaways from that is we were looking at really single glottal impulses at a time. And Joshua says that spectral moments, we're going to look at big, big picture ideas today. So anyway, let me play the theme song and then we'll welcome Joshua and we'll go. You're listening to the Vocal Fry Podcast, your weekly dash of voice science, pedagogy, and pop culture. Coming to you from Waste Disposal Center 3 on the original Death Star. Well, Josh, welcome back to Vocal Fry. Yes. Thank you so much. Always a dubious pleasure to have you on the podcast. Oh, Either that or dubious. trashy, given our location. <laughs> <laughs> I did wonder what what this morning would be. I was well, like, we used format last week. What are we going to do? We don't have a Star Trek one. I know. And, you know, we keep mm. saying, we keep saying. That I've we've been got needing to, to do it as a summer project. More, and then the pandemic happened. That's how long we've been talking about And then about you this. weren't here. Yeah, well. 
and but then now, and then 2022 happened. Yeah, one of these times we're gonna record some some new. I say we like. So like, what would it be? Would it be like on the way to the final frontier? No, um, I would think that we would come to you from Quark's Hollow Suite Number uh, Seven. Okay. Uh, as we, as we fought the Battle of Britain would probably be where mm. I'd go. Wow, and here I thought maybe like the vineyard, like good old going with the DS Nine. No, I went with the DS Nine deep cut. Um, uh, or the Hollow. Or, or just you could just be like coming from you from Quark's, Quark's Bar. Yeah, Quark's. I mean that that would be have to be right. I mean that's where a podcast would record. You haven't seen. I DS haven't seen 9. Deep Space Nine, so Star this Trek? means nothing no. to me. No Star Trek for Liz. No Star Trek for Liz. My vote's always for the holodeck. You Ooh, could like the add the decks. the Bashir reference, like on the edge of frontier voice Medicine, pedagogy. Voice exactly. Pe- edge of frontier voice pedagogy. Oh, that's an episode one reference there. But we'd also like one from the hex, right? Like, yeah, from from the Westview hex. Yeah, like, yeah, for sure. For sure. Uh, it took me a second. I was like, I don't know what this has to do with Star Trek, but then I no, got I there. Just, just in other that theme it doesn't. Songs. Like, I'd like one that says from the Westview Hex. And, oh, same. And uh, pr- probably from Micropolis here in a month. Oh, <laughs> I'm guessing. We'll see. We'll anyway, see. we'll talk about that in, in later in this episode. Um, so stick around. We'll give you a little Star Trek's uh, Picard Season 3 preview mm-hmm. at the end of this episode. Um, okay, Joshua, what, what in the world put you onto this spectral moments idea in the first place um uh, this is actually a fun story and like uh one of those moments of of oh that's how 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 science ends up working um i was trying to figure out uh measurements to use for my dissertation which looked at historical recordings and wax cylinders and whatnot and um one of my committee members was ron Scherer, and he was looking over my proposal and i was talking i was actually going to look at um, really traditional, um, you know, formant resonance interactions. And he was like, well, if you're going to do that and get an actual quantitative measurement, you need to be doing your study differently um, because you need to actually do a, a some sort of like simple mathematical process between formant uh, or resonance and uh, harmonic interactions, right? Um, and I was like, oh, well, maybe I'll look at this and this and this. And I kind of named things that were named measurements that were important to the spectrum and like described the spectrum. And so Ron was like, um, well, what about just looking at spectral moments? And I and I have always looked at the spectrum as like a, a I, I've looked at it as like a picture, mm-hmm. right? Like when I look at a spectrum, I see a shape yeah. and that shape, you know, allows me to intuit what the sound is going to be, right? Um, And for years, I had been trying to figure out a way to kind of mesh all of those measurements together, you know, spectral tilt, um, level difference between first and second harmonic, you know, amount of high frequency energy, any of these things, right? And I looked up spectral moments based on Ron's suggestion, and I was like, oh, yeah, this is what I've been looking for for years. So again a bigger picture idea than just here is the third harmonic and the second vocal tract resonance on this tenor high B flat. Well, and the reason why that's important is because ultimately, you know, as much as we would like to think of that formant and harmonic analysis um, or resonance and, and harmonic uh, kind of micro analysis as being objective, it's actually inherently subjective. Imagine you're looking at a um, spectrum of a singer and they have they're singing with vibrato 
and at any point in that vibrato because of the you know fundamental frequency or the the pitch um range of that vibrato the um resonance and harmonic interaction changes well which one do you choose do you report both of them do you report one of them which one which of the upswing or the downswing of the vibrato do you actually um report well that's that's inherently subjective um and um as like in 2013 maybe 2015 there was um a big argument at voice foundation that kept happening about inverse filtering um and really the most appropriate way of analyzing resonance and harmonic we're getting way in the weeds here but the 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 most appropriate way to analyze quantitatively resonance and harmonic interactions is by being in an in anechoic chamber introducing white noise into the um, vocal tract and then pulling the white noise out of the signal so that you have the transfer function of the, of the, the, vocal, the of the vocal tract right that's but what singer has that ability in or their an in their lab chamber exactly well, precisely do you sarah do you have one mm -hmm. you're going to build one all of my closets house, actually yeah. <laughs> yeah i knew it i knew it. sarah's going to build a state-of-the-art anechoic chamber out, guys. on her second floor they've got this lovely ensuite up there she <laughs> it's just going to be a chamber just going to make an anechoic chamber out of yeah. it. well and that's and that's the you know the allure of using you know don miller's um you know vocal fry um you know mm -hmm. to be completely on point for the podcast vocal fry um method for calculating resonances right it introduces a you know a, a semi-broadband noise. noise yeah an aperiodic noise into the vocal tract but you can't really be certain that that is remaining constant either between the vocal fry um and the singing or even within different samples you know it's an interesting perspective to consider there, there's a number of things you just said that i'd already like to kind of just revisit for a second yeah with apologies that i went that down into the rabbit hole that quickly oh, yeah well let's so let's back up first of all he mentioned dr ronald shearer for those of you who don't know who ron is that he is a professor of voice science communication disorders at bowling green state university in ohio um, long time important contributor to the voice foundation and other voice related uh matters in terms of research is that a fair uh, introduction yeah and uh was a member of Joshua's one of dr Tietz's first uh, th uh doctoral students one of dr ingo Tietz's first doctoral students and then of course it was also on dr glasner's doctoral committee yes absolutely great among um, many other you know people who've done really impressive work yeah of course um aaron johnson of uh, dr aaron johnson among them um also on joshua's committee and others anyway you were bringing up right there you talked about in the swing of the vibrato in the spectrum as a reason maybe not to consider this and uh, or at least to, a reason to recognize the subjectivity the, the inherent subject, subjectivity yes i love how you just put that the reason to recognize the subjectivity in looking at a spectrogram and i remember even a conversation on that regard that Scott McCoy and I had probably back in 2010, 2012, years and years ago, about the subjectivity of looking at EGG signals. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, which of course, when they were presented to me, I was like, oh, well, this is the moment, you know, cause that, that's what Don was into. This is the moment of glottal closing. This is what the EGG is telling us. And there it is. And I just took it at face value and, you know, moved on with my life and 
we started talking about it, you know, for years and years. Right. But I remember when we were at POS, when we were still doing physiology and acoustics of singing Mm -hmm. in San Antonio, the one John Nix hosted, our dear friend John Nix, who's been on the podcast, hosted. He, on purpose, put a keynote. He put Don, may he rest in peace, doing a keynote one morning. And the following morning, he put Ingo doing a keynote. And... I remember Ingo talking about this exact thing of the swing of the vibrato on the samples that Don had was, was showing us in the spectrum, and that uh, this was when we were ori- orienting um, spectrums or the oscilloscope uh, vertically, not mm. horizontally. Sure. And he was talking about the peaks all being to the right of the harmonic. Like the swing mm-hmm. of the vibrato yep. peak, mm. um, and because that's in fact how Ingo talks about um, you know resonance and harmonic interactions. Please, please describe. describe no, that. no, I mean like if you go to SVI, um, one of the surprising things for a lot of us who are more ingrained at the time. I when did I go? Twenty seventeen, I guess I did it. The summer of twenty seventeen, something like that. Um, the surprising thing for those of us who are more kind of indoctrinated into the, in, in not a negative way, just like we the were more aware training. of voice pedagogy and voice, um, singing voice acoustics using Dr. Miller's, um, Don Miller's uh, uh, paradigm. Yeah. Um, we were surprised that when we got to talking about resonance and harmonic interactions, that uh, Ingo was really talking about primarily you know this is what happens when you know blank harmonic is to the left or to the right of your you know radiated formant peak right um but he actually never talked about you know this is what happens um or this is a defining characteristic of tenor high notes or this is a defining characteristic of belt um using that you know microanalysis of resonance and harmonic interactions right so he would never say you know uh, FR2 H3, right? right? He would never, or or you know, whichever, whichever, uh, yeah. However, you would say that. Um, okay, so anyway, there's just a little bit of background history. I, but I just I found that, of course, conversation fascinating. And and you know, I will say when we were in San Antonio, j- this is just a, a tribute to these two giants in our field, if I may, because both of them, I think I think Don and Ingo both deserve the kudos that they deserve. Um. You know, they kind of had a had an intellectual sparring match, you know. And then they went out into the lobby of the coffee break and they laughed with each other. And I, man, I think we miss that discourse sometimes. Mm-hmm. I think we need to bring back the, the fact that discourse was okay and we could all go out to the bar afterwards and still laugh with each other. Sorry, Absolutely. On you well, and, and honestly, I think moments, you'll but, see that if you go to... You know, a Voice Foundation co- conference. If you if you watch the stalwarts in the field, they still, you know, outside of people slapping each other with rubber gloves, you know, you, that's you a generally that's another that story. And I were at <laughs> that is the single greatest moment that has ever happened in a voice conference in the in the history of voice conferences. That's a different story involving Dr. Martin Rottenberg and Dr. Tietze. That was a yeah. different day. Anyway, yeah, but I, I think you're you're more apt to see that type of thing. Um, you know, within scientific discourse, which is, I think, really useful for all of us singer types to kind of 
to realize get into. that it exists yeah. even. Exactly. You know, and also that we're also they just they have a they have a conversation about it. They present their facts and their info and whatever, and then they go to the bar and have a drink. Exactly. Rather than maybe saying, "Well, my method of support is the way we do this." Exactly. And you're an idiot. Exactly. But I think we're getting out of that. I think we're get. I think generationally we're getting out I think of that so in too. the singing voice world. Anyway, sorry, that's getting off topic. Anything you wanted to add to that? I had considered so many thoughts at so many different points. Um, no, I, I guess I do just concur that there definitely is a tendency to get very emotionally invested. I know, singers being emotional, a wild concept. Um, but getting very emotionally invested in our own, well, I don't know if opinions is the right word, but thought processes. And it is, I think, for a lot of us, probably myself included, difficult to, like, when presented with a different idea, to not go, oh my gosh, they think I'm an idiot. Now I'm angry. Like, I've got to prove I'm not an idiot. And, like, that's not necessarily the case. Like, yeah. you know. Yeah. Can well, I think as singers, we can oftentimes get, and, and singers in academia, certainly, um, we can get into this kind of like scarcity mindset yeah. um, and scarcity of mindset related to, you know, independent thought um, or, or inquiry. And I think that, um, you know, there's value in, you know, having your own, you know, having your, your, your research focus, having your scholarly, you know, path and, and also allowing other, you know, ideas that might even be contrary to yours, um, you know, to to exist in at the, in yeah. the same breath. And to recognize that, like, intelligent people can come to these separate conclusions. Exactly. And just because they reached this other conclusion at the end of it doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, they they're unintelligent. That they're claiming that you're unintelligent. Right. That, like, I, I love the the scarcity mindset like that's something that i feel like i've been hearing more and more about and i really like that concept because i think it applies to like a lot it does of aspects of our life and kind of areas where we get upset or whatever but um yeah but also that scarcity it keeps us from like i think you were kind of already talking about this kind of enriching possibilities like allowing these different ideas and the different you know people and minds that come to them to inform us right. to give us new ways forward like otherwise like we would just stagnate like if we all just went yep this is the thing this is it we all agree like i don't know well what, i have what a, would be the point exactly and i think i have a good example of this and i don't think i've ever told him this but when uh ian hall and i were talking about his dissertation back in the day when he was about to publish it um when we first met what, hopefully he doesn't hate me for saying this but when when he first told me about his his ideas related to absolute spectral tone color and whatnot um and kind of the way he framed it was i'm creating a, a new vocabulary a new vernacular mm. and the first thought in my head was why we have so many words <laughs> we have so many words in voice pedagogy yeah, people argue yeah. about language all the time why do we need this but in fact his ideas about absolute absolute spectral tone color really have informed my path of going forward with the spectral moment thing. He's interested in different parts of the spectrum, broadly how they, broadly and narrowly how they influence what we perceive. And I think that spectral moments, um, looking at the big picture, have the possibility to allow us to look at that uh, uh, kind of 
look at what we hear or look at what we perceive through a wider lens rather that narrow yeah. ra rather than with that narrow microanalysis of harmonic and resonance interactions and if yeah. i may in a and you've used this word already in a quantitative way in a in an objective way yes. exactly when kind of coming back to i guess why we're even here it's like you like the whole thing of starting to look at using spectral moments to analyze like it's like you said it just gives you one more way to look at this information it's kind of a wider viewpoint rather than just these are the only words i have to describe this thing so um, right no i'm very interested because like he josh sent us a video to kind of watch and admittedly the math goes a little beyond the math I've math. And admittedly, I told I told Nick that the the math part, once it got to the math, just turn it off because it was right. really the intuition that was necessary. And he told me that, and I watched it. <laughs> I watched it. And anyway. I was like, maybe I'll get it. I did not get no, it, I did friends. Not get it. I did not. I was like, mm, okay. Yes. So Joshua, unpack for us literally what a what a moment is statistically. Because yes, that's I'm, I'm ready. I'm excited. Okay, so we have a couple different levels, right? Um, the first is uh, I'll, I'll work backwards. Okay. So. We're using this type of analysis to extract four different numbers mm -hmm. from a spectrum. So let's say Sarah sings into a microphone, we record it, we choose a section of her singing and we look at it on a spectrum, right? We look at the long-term average spectrum. A section meaning like a note, a phrase? Anything, in fact. Anything. Cool. So in speech, it's been used to look at steady state signals, so the middle of a of a of an utterance, and also running speech. So like um, we could look at the entire rainbow passage with this. In precisely, speech. and it has been done that way. Uh -huh. It has been used that way. So, and then for my dissertation, I was able to look at um, a, a single aspect of a um, de voce, um, mm -hmm. and also a whole section of um, excerpt from Cato Mio Ben. Okay. Right. Okay. Um, and it's supposed to be robust in, or, or, or you know, pretty strong in, in, in being able to analyze those um, different types of utterances. Okay. Mm -hmm. Right? So you can have different tasks, and you can use this one measurement to look at these different tasks. Then we have four different numbers, right, mm -hmm. um, that you use when you pull out, um, you know, when you do a moment analysis of okay. a spectrum, right? Those four different numbers, those four different measurements, um, are basically equivalent, or they describe the spectrum, um, they describe the graph that is the spectrum, in a similar way that one could use if they were analyzing um, a distribution based on statistics. So if I had a data set, literally any data set, I could use statistical moments to describe that that graph that comes from the actual data set okay right so you know the the equivalent here is if i had a bell curve which is what everybody's you know accustomed to looking. to looking yeah. at right um kind of conventionally kind of um it's more germane to everyone um that bell curve would would be a, a normal distribution it would be an even distribution with the mean in the center it would have you know It'd be, you'd be able to describe the variability or the variance in that data set. Mm -hmm. You'd also be able to describe how high or how low the peak was, and you'd be able to describe how much of that information was towards the middle, towards the left, or towards the right, so the skewness, right? 
So statistical moments, right? And we're and this is super nerdy. So if we need to like break this down a little bit, I think that it's actually best done with pictures, which is not easy not on a yet. podcast, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but um, I think if you imagine a bell curve, okay. right, you will have a mean, a standard deviation, a skewness, which is that how much the how much of the majority yeah. of the information is left towards right. Um, so, for example skewness for a bell curve is zero uh -huh. because all of that information is centered sure right sure. um and then you'd have something called kurtosis which is a little bit harder to understand but it's really just how high or how low that middle part that that where the mean is okay right on the graph so a um i think the standard number that like the standard number is like anything higher than three would be um, abnormal or, or di differing from average. I think that's the number, but it, it really doesn't matter what the numbers are per se. What matters is that you're extracting actual numbers from any spectrum that you look at. So what are the numbers that you extract? That's what I, that's what I was going to ask is like, is it frequency amplitude? Like what? Absolutely. How? So the, the, so you would say the first spectral moment, the second spectral moment, the third spectral moment, fourth spectral moment. Okay. Uh -huh. The first spectral moment is mean. Literally just for, for, a, for a statistical distribution, it's literally just the mean of that data set, right? So if the mean of a bell curve, the data within a bell curve, if that was, well, let's actually, uh, if it was like 500, right? Okay. It, the first spectral moment would be 500 and the unit would be whatever you're measuring. In terms of a spectrum, it's the weighted mean. So how much it considers how much energy is in any given frequency in the spectrum. Okay. And then it says, where's the mean of that data? So typically what you'll see is that that's going to be pretty, not always, and not always is this, this is not always true, but typically what you'll see is that this mean is going to be centered towards the middle of the first foreman, the first resonance. Uh Okay. So your being... your first spectral moment is going to be in hertz. It's a frequency measurement. It's the mean weighted frequency of a spectrum. Okay. Right? Mm -hmm. yeah. So where's most of the energy concentrated? I mean, it's going to be because of the weight of that first exactly. push of, of everything. Precisely. It's going to be low in the spectrum. Yes. But now if you ha imagine if you had like Domingo, right, who had a pretty prominent well, singer's sure, format. No, no, no. This is, this is actually quite important, though. Like yeah, if yeah, you yeah. had Domingo, right, and which mm -hmm. we know from tr really classical explanations right classical in like a you know scientific sense right it's many decades ago um describing domingo's spectrum well we know that his singer at certain notes his singer's formant um cluster is pretty prominent sometimes even a little bit higher than the first formant the first okay. resonance right so what would that do to spectral mean well, if you have all of this information that's kind of clustered around like 2700 to 3200 hertz, depending on, you know, the singer and the length of the vocal track, um, that's going to that's going to move that mean oh, wow. higher because it's weighting towards the um, singer's formant cluster. So it's actually describing even in the first moment, the picture of the of the spectrum. It's okay. saying, oh, by the way, there's a little bit more information up here. I'm getting, I think I'm getting it. And that's why you're able to use it also to do like longer phrases is because even if you had like, I guess the double, even if you had doubling of numbers, you're able to kind of look at, I guess the average over 
time. We've used long-term average spectrum to, to, you know, to talk about a whole bunch of things, but we've never really had robust ways to quantify that. We've said, look at this picture, yeah. see how it's different, but we haven't actually, in singing voice pedagogy, we don't frequently see here's this picture, this is how it's different, and here's a number that represents how it's different. Well, and I wouldn't, I would think that would be very useful in that, I mean, think how difficult it would be if you wanted to look at a whole phrase. Like, you'd have to, otherwise, without this, almost just put, like, picture, 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 exactly. picture, picture, if you were doing, like, a paper or something. Whereas exactly. this way, you do, you have, like, a literal, like, here is a number that admittedly, like you said, like, yes, you would have to learn how to, I guess, interpret it. That's a great point. But that kind of gives you an idea of what it looked like, like. So to be just just to get to, to, to so to give a example, right? You brought up the Domingo example, but just for a comparison idea, so that maybe people could help visualize this if they've looked at spectrograms. If we put a spectrogram of let's say Renee Fleming and Placido Domingo singing the first phrase of Caro Mio Ben. We would expect to see the first moment lower in Miss Fleming's because of the weighting of the fundamental. Depending on the pitch. Depending on the pitch. That, yeah, if that they same if they sang exactly the same pitch, we would anticipate that that would be true. And Sarah brings up a really good point, though. That, and I and I'm, this is actually um, some colleagues and I are presenting a paper on this, the beginning parts of this at Voice Foundation this summer. Um, Kayla Godoro and Joseph Hitchcock and I are presenting an analysis of a synthesized voice using Mata with these spectral moments, given different variables. Ooh. Oh, that's nice. Right. So, so one of the things that, hearing about that... Yeah, I mean, I, I, think, I think that it's necessary. I think it's honestly a little bit dull. Um, but, but, you know, I think the, the motivation, I think, is clear. We, mm -hmm. we want, I want, and, uh, and I think the field needs single numbers single measurements that allow you to describe sounds. Think about, and, and we can get back to what, you know, the different moments are, though I think that's, a, again, a little bit dry, but I can explain them. Um, think about the number of times that you've gone to look at a singer singing in Name Your Style, right? Yeah. Western classical, you know, different styles within Western classical, right? Um, musical theater, um, belting and not belting, um, things somewhere in between belting and head voice, right? Like, mm -hmm. think about how many times you've looked at these sounds and using traditional formant tuning analysis, mm -hmm. those sounds have the exact same resonance tuning. Yes, but they don't have the same shaped spectrum. And that's precisely the point, right? Sure. If you use just traditional formant tuning yeah, analysis, yeah. No, you're right. yeah. you would you you're might correct. be led to think that that they're really quite similar. But I mean, even I was listening I to you, okay. rather rather than just describing, rather than being left with just saying, oh, there's more energy in the bottom of the spectrum. There's more energy in these harmonics. Right. You're able to give a a number to it. You're right. able to objectively state this singer in this style. The mo I, I'm not. I yeah, don't know yeah, no, it's fine. The it. first spectral moment is blah. Yeah, yeah, it's just a more objective 
specific measurement. Exactly. And I mean, even Dr. Hall uh, last week said, um, I, I typed it out because I, I thought it was really well said. I, th I hope I got it exactly right. But he said, students, we are teaching appreciate a variety of sounds that aren't well described by our formant harmonic interactions. Exactly. Well, right? that's the, when we were talking about what he asked us the question, how, how does our classic literature define belt voice? Right. You know, and my immediate response was, well, yes, it's that lowest resonance in the second harmonic, but it's not that. It's not that at all. It's exactly. actually the even spread of the higher harmonics at, at even amplitudes is what it really is the defining characteristic right. of what really great contemporary musical theater mix is. Exactly. And, 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 and it, it, you know, it occurs to me, actually, with this conversation, mm -hmm. and I think, Liz, you could confirm this. I have not really in class been describing spectrums in classical one resonant interactions anymore but i i think i when i would talk about the spectrum to your class i would describe the overall shape is that not a fair yeah no that's fair yeah like... so going back to absolute spectral tone color right like you could use spectral moments i think mm -hmm. to describe how much e or oo is in a sound right Yes, well, because it's very visible on a spectrum. Exactly. And so would you, I mean, you've got more experience looking at these. Would you be able to, like, say I took a singer on the same same note with mm -hmm. those two vowels, you would get different numbers, correct? Probably. Uh, it, if you a had the same bit. singer on the same note with different vowels, you would get different, you should get different numbers. Yeah, maybe not. Okay, okay, yeah. That, right. Oh, so what was what's the second moment? Oh gosh, We've so that's the, the that's the that's the variance well, no, or the this spread. This was good though. No. This was this was really good. I actually understand what this is. Now. I was gonna say I'm like, oh no, I was feeling so good about myself till I realized this was just number because, one. Uh, because <laughs> I, it, listen, vocal fan, Joshua Glasner is a PhD, not a DMA, and his dissertation is not like reading mine. You could read mine in a short. Little bit. <laughs> no moment. My in a, a moment. moment. <laughs> Mine is a historic artifact of a different era. If I may, it seemed very technical in two thousand and eight. It was. Um, well, thank you. It is. It is. No, oh. you used you used you used uh, you know formant analysis, and you you know looked at at um, nasalance measurements. Yeah. Like that's that is advanced. Yeah. Well, there you go. Look at that. A PhD confirmed my existence. <laughs> I, I now Science. feel accomplished for the day. I, this feels about as good as when a violinist told me I sang well. I think you value my opinion too much. Um, <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> um, okay. But, but any, any, anyway, I, 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 when I looked at Joshua's dissertation, I was like, I can read this introduction and these conclusions. I don't know what any of this in the middle is. Oh, but also, like, I mean, I don't know that I would recommend to anyone to read my dissertation. I think that the dissertation in academia serves a really specific purpose. Yeah. Um, and really, there are three studies in there. You're right. You've been, which you've been turning into articles. Right. Exactly. Yeah. You know, but so but I mean, I think my, yeah. my my mentor from my doctoral uh, from my dissertation, um, Aaron Johnson, you know, he would talk about this as like, you know, the dissertation is your first it's it's your first peer mentored peer or your your first mentored peer review process right right and so there's t there's more information in there than i would put in an article sure mm -hmm. right like do not ever read the results section unless you're 
trying to replicate that study. Exactly. Like, well, and right? I did the same thing with my dissertation. I turned it into a much shorter article. Exactly. And, you know, that's what we do. Uh, okay, so what is the second spectral moment? Oh, yeah. It's the spread of the data. So imagine the spread of the spectrum, spectral energy, right? So imagine the first one is where is most of the energy concentrated? Another word for that might be the spectral centroid. I was, gonna, I was just about um, to say that, yes. Okay. Which, which Dr. Howe uses quite, uh, well, maybe not in, exactly in publishings, way, but, but he's interested in it. Yeah. Um, uh, or has been interested in it. It's in, in the it. dissertation. Yeah, yeah. So... Uh, the second spectral moment is is okay. You have this like measure of the mean weighted based on the energy in mm -hmm. different you know frequencies, uh, different parts of the spectrum. Now, how spread apart is that data? Right. Mm -hmm. So um, a good example here is let's see. So my dissertation um, had flat response microphones and a wax cylinder. Right? right, and singers sang into the phonograph and sang into the uh, microphone at the exact same time, and we found that the the wax cylinder recordings were really noisy, especially once you wore them down. Okay, mm -hmm. so let's think about this: like we record them and then we wear it down and we increase high frequency noise. Right, there's more noise, like just indescript, indescript noise in those. Exactly, exactly. That second, that worn recording from the wax cylinder would have a higher spec, uh, standard deviation, or a yeah. higher second spectral moment, right? A higher spread of frequencies yeah. than the first one, the first wax cylinder recording, which didn't have that noise introduced. Introduced to it. That makes sense. Okay. Right. Yeah. You could imagine. For example, and again, this is, you know, not quite supposition, but it's like, a, I guess, a hypothesis of sorts. If you have a singer who is um, singing commercial music, okay. mm. right, without high frequency energy, mm -hmm. and you have a singer who is singing commercial music with higher frequency energy, mm -hmm. you would imagine that the spread of those frequencies would be higher, would be greater for the singer who is, the commercial singer who uses high frequency energy. Because there's more energy, there's more information at the higher part of the spectrum. Yeah. Because well, it's being, and then even, if I may, you sort of just described from a quantitative aspect, mm -hmm why using commercial recordings to compare one to another is difficult. Sure. Like, that's one reason. Absolutely. Because we don't know what artifacts they introduced right. into sure. the final resultant sound. Yeah. But also you could imagine, like, um, let's say a continuum of breathy to flow to pressed voice, right? What would mm -hmm. pressed voice have that breathy wouldn't? Probably more higher energy. More higher energy mm -hmm. because it has a flatter spectrum, yep. spe flatter spectral tilt, right? Mm -hmm. yep. Has more higher frequency in uh, information. Of course, we don't want to use pressed voice, but it would be a way to compare breathy voice to pressed voice because sure. breathy voice, exactly, breathy voice would I have just a. To do that for everyone. <laughs> breathy voice would have a lower um, second spectral moment, a lower spread of that frequency energy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Again, so much easier with pictures, but I'm trying to give people examples no, no, no. of things that they might have experience with, right? Yeah, a breathy say, voice like, will have a steep looked. spectrum. Yeah. 
right? And, a, and a press voice will be a little bit flatter. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, no, and no, these that are things sense. that, I mean, no, we're talking about things that we totally understand as a singing teacher. Yep. I mean, completely. Okay, what's the third moment? Uh, that's actually pretty similar, though not identical, to Spectral Tilt. So we've all seen Spectral okay. Tilt in Dr. McCoy's book, right? Um, you know, and a description and many other books, right? Okay, but, so vocal but, fam, spectral tilt. So a very shallow spectral tilt would be one that if you were, that the harmonics would have a fairly even spread. A very deep spectral tilt, very strong fundamental, pretty steep roll off of harmonic energy. Right. Is that a fairly... Yeah, and, and specifically the harmonic energy, not just the harmonics being evenly spread, but the right. energy in the harmonics being um, pretty, pretty constant. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, so that the difference between skewness and spectral tilt, from my understanding, is that spectral uh, spectral skewness, right, the third spectral moment, mm -hmm. um, it measures the uh, amount of of spectral energy below the mean and above the mean, and it's a ratio. Then, so in, uh, to go back to your question, Sarah, about like what's the unit? First spectral moment, so spectral mean is hertz. Spectral standard deviation, the second sp spectral moment, is hertz. Okay. The third spectral moment has no unit because it's a ratio. Because that makes sense. Got it. Right? Okay. okay. So what's yeah. the, I mean, I'm trying to remember if, if actually, they, it's a more complicated formula, but I think maybe oversimplifying if you think about like, let's, if, like uh, a unit over the same unit would cancel out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Course. Hertz over Hertz would cancel out. But, right. But this isn't. That makes sense. Right. Okay. I'm tracking with you. So what's right? the fourth spectral? You vocal tracking with me? I, I'm vocal frying with you, baby. <laughs> oh, oh. Okay. Oh, that was a little cringe. <laughs> oh man. Okay. The dad joke came out of me. Sorry. It's how I know I'm gonna be a good dad. Vocal family. I got the dad <laughs> jokes on point. Uh, yeah, well, your sweatshirt's about to flap away at us. Mm. Uh, Josh was wearing his Eagles gear. Um, Go birds. Uh, anyway, so what's the fourth spectral moment? Uh, so that's the kurtosis, right? So that's the, um, there's a little bit of disagreement in the literature about this, but the really common way of talking about it is the peakedness of the energy around the, the spectral mean. Isn't so, that a show on uh, Netflix? Are you thinking like, isn't it Peaky Blinders? Yes. Ah, oh, okay. nice. <laughs> so like, so basically, if you think about the normal distribution, the bell curve, it's okay. how high or low that middle part is. Yeah. Right. So if you think about a, a long term average spectrum, typically you're going to see the first resonance being more prominent, right? Uh -huh. Being higher. Um, so it's measuring how high or how low in that spectrum, how high or how low the first resonance is. Again, not always the first resonance because the mean can can move. Sure. Right, based on the other uh, free spectral content. Sure. Yeah, but here's what I love about all this. Mm -hmm. I love that there are people like you in our field who actually understand stuff like this now. <laughs> and I say that because, first of all, Joshua has run our statistics on yes. our studies, correct, Sarah? Yes, indeed. And we're eternally grateful for that. In correct. Fact. Yeah. In fact, no, yes. but I just love that this could, this is a way, it, 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 by the way, you did not invent this measurement. Not at right? all. And it's been used in voice before. Yes. Mm -hmm. And linguistics. And, and so this is not exactly like a new statistical measurement. Nope. Just in, maybe, maybe, maybe the honest way of talking about it would be it's an, and that's not even quite so honest, but it's a 
relatively novel way of applying the method. Sure. Yeah. It, there's one other paper that has used spectral moments to to, to analyze the singing voice. Singing. I believe Shaheen Awan was the first author. Okay. Okay, cool. And I think uh, Christian Herbst was on that paper as well. Got it. Okay. But, like, definitely could be, I think, help a lot of people would potentially find this useful. Well, I love that it, though, going back to kind of where we started, that it gives the idea of looking at the big picture of the yeah. spectrum as the overall shape, but then quant- quantitatively being able to describe that. Yeah, I think there are a couple things that it does really well, potentially, for our field, right? The, the first caveat is... We don't know what it means. Right? We don't we, know what anything means. Well, we don't what well, we don't know what these measurements mean yet. We're I'm I'm working with some colleagues yeah. to try to understand it, but we can infer we can make inferences. Sure. The sure. reason it worked for my dissertation was I was like I was saying, here's this one system, here's this other system, how are they different? Sure. Well, I know it can measure big ballpark changes. The yeah. question is, what does it say about these like smaller, more granular changes, right? So that's the first caveat. We don't know what it means, and we need to study that before we can say that it means anything. Um, the The thing that I I like about it conceptually, mm-hmm. um, there, there perhaps two things. One is um, it allows us to it allows us to to study differences between singing that we can't actually describe using other models. Right? That goes back to something Dr. Howe said last week, which yeah. was the, the models you previously learned may be limited. Sure. Right? Yes. If a model doesn't explain everything, and even even Professor Bozeman says um, in his models, he actually says in his presentations, I don't teach musical theater, so this isn't something, this can't, you know, I wouldn't use this to explain all different styles, though one can, can right? Mm-hmm. Um, but but he, would, he would even say that, and, and I've heard him say that. Um, so, so the first thing it does is it allows us to look at the big ballpark picture mm-hmm. and look at different styles, different types of singing, um, that we couldn't really describe concisely or in a standardized way, um, with other models. The second thing it does is we have some researchers in the field right now, um, in voice pedagogy who are using statistics in a, in a really, um, uh, advanced way, right? Yes. Yes. I think of Dr. Rawlings. Yes. I think I of Dr. Maxfield. I think of Dr. Schoeninger. I think of you know Dr. Price. Yes, mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. Dr. Howell as well um, is using statistics now, right? The traditional resonance and harmonic interaction analysis, the traditional form and tuning analysis doesn't allow you to use statistical analysis. No, it's just, hey, look at this picture. Exactly. So what this does is as we're training new scholars to be able to look at differences in a statistical way, Mm -hmm. using statistical analysis, analysis, analytical methods, um, this type of measurement allows them to compute actual differences between samples, actual you know, uh, you can actually use this to predict things, right? If you have actual numbers, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So that's what it does, right? It allows us to look at things that we didn't previously have a model for, good use of prepositions there, (laughs) and and it allows us to um, actually analyze things with statistics, which I think um, 
we have we have scholars in our field who are more frequently doing that which is important i mean it, it, it is an important uh way and listen i don't think it discredits anyone who in their research is is, is not really doing anything with technology no. or statistics no i think no. there are of course absolutely you know qualitative things that we need to discuss that are right. that are very important to our field right. Largely sure. because the field of voice and singing in one from one perspective will always be about an oral tradition that's been passed on from generation to generation. It's a big tent, as it were. It's a big tent, as yeah. it were. As a, it's a big moment. Huh. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, I just, but I just I do think that it's a it it is it opens up doors for people. Absolutely. Right? It opens up doors and has the potential to standardize measurements, Absolutely. right? Yeah. So that we're not looking, one person isn't looking at the level difference between the first and second harmonic and another person uses alpha ratio and another person uses spectral tilt and another person uses ATQI and so on and so sure. forth, or, or capstral peak prominence, CPD right? And, you know, there, there's power ratio. Exactly, right? I mean, think about singer's power ratio, alpha ratio, and spectral tilt. They really aim to do something quite similar. So quite similar, yes. Mm -hmm. Right? Um, and so I think that standardization is potentially really helpful. Um, but I, but I also think, you know, moving towards this, this idea of, I, Dr. Howell says it really well that like, you don't listen to a singer who's, you know, boosting, you know, using a particular type of formant tuning, right? Mm -hmm. You don't, li if, let's say they're boosting, they're, they're using like, I don't know, FR2, you know, FO3, 3FO, right? Sure. Or whatever. Whatever. You're not listening to the third harmonic. No, you're listening to the entire spectrum. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So why would we describe a type of singing solely just off of you're actually based off of that thing that you're, you're not actually, actually listening, listening to? to the third reflection. Never mind. <laughs> oh my gosh. But but even but even so, right? Like if you are listening to the entire spectrum and if we want to value the entire spectrum, if we want to value everything from ooh to e to buzz. Mm -hmm. From ooh to e to buzz. Wow. I better get brownie points with Ian for that one. Yes. <laughs> yes you um, but if you want to value all of that information, why not look at the big picture? Yeah. And not only that, one thing someone, you know, in a different department would say to me during my uh, doctoral work was, he, he would say, why are you only looking at the middle portion of a sound if the part of, of a vocal sound, if the part that is important to our perception it includes the onset and the offset? Yeah. Right. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. You're right. Mm -hmm. And the reason why is because it's easier. Yeah. Yep. To be simple, right? to to to, to yep. oversimplify it's easier that way right so i the thing i like about this conceptually while acknowledging that we have no clue what it means right yet mm -hmm. or we have limited understanding of what it means um the thing i like about this is that it allows us to look at that picture and it allows us to look at that picture and explain and and kind of intuitively understand things with just a, a like something that would be discussed in the first week of a statistics course. Sure. Not moments, but mean standard devi deviation, right. yes, yes. skewness and kurtosis. Yes, yes. That is, that is literally week one or week two. Week one of statistics 101. Of yes. statistics 101. Yes. Right. right? Cool. Um, 
and we don't have to actually compute this. Right. You know? Wow. This has been great. Joshua, this has been absolutely delightful. Um, turning very quickly, because we're going to run out of time, because i got to read Liz's uh, lecture recital first draft that she's Ooh. presenting me this morning. Um, so much pressure. <laughs> yeah, now it's out there for everyone. Uh, we all know what's happening in 10 minutes. Um, I, I Really quickly, before we dive into just a little Star Trek Picard Season 3 preview, <laughs> vocal fan, before I forget, <coughs> in about a month, Quantumania will hit the theaters... And yeah. I just want to give you a little bit here. If, if you are like, oh, God, I can't watch a Marvel movie because I'm not caught up. I haven't seen everything. I blah, 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 blah. Fine. I want to give you five things that you should consider watching. Okay? Watch the first two Ant-Man movies because this is the third Ant-Man movie. That does make sense. I'm with you here. If you've got three hours and six minutes, watch Endgame. And watch the roughly three hours and six minutes of the six episodes of Loki. And watch the three minutes of the Shang-Chi post-credit scene. All right, all right. That's your assignment going into Quantumania. Okay? Everything else from Phase 4, other than maybe those Can last three imagine? minutes of Shang-Chi and Loki, oh, ignore it. Well, and chances are, if you're even considering going to see Quantumania, I'm going to guess you've already seen Endgame. Yeah, probably. You know, like, um, if you're still with us... Do you have to see Multiverse of Madness? We'll Ma see. Maybe, Woo. because you because th there's either two ways they could go with this based on the comic source material, and they haven't told us yet. Because Kang is going to try to take over one of two ways. One of those might be Incursions, so you might need to see Doctor Strange. I mean, you might, or you might just, like, I mean, we can tell you what an incursion is right now. An incursion is one dimension, one reality, incursioning on another. It, yeah, And basically kind of destroying both. They collide. Boom. They collide. Now you Boom. know. Now you know. So maybe you don't need to see Multiverse of Madness, unless you I, just want I to. I think we told you everything you need to know about mm -hmm. it. Yes. Yeah. In a nutshell. You should definitely watch, if nothing else, the last episode of Loki. If you watch nothing else... You need to watch the finale of Loki and watch it probably three times. Yeah, I got to go back and rewatch that. Like three times. Um, probably same. The finale. Anyway. Not the finale. Okay, Joshua, what are you expecting out of season three, Picard? Oh, I really don't know. I, same. I go through these moments of like thinking that a season of Picard is amazing. <laughs> And and then not and then thinking it's amazing and realizing that everybody else thinks that it isn't. Yeah. Um God, so, the writing has just been Yeah, it's been a little rough. It has. And there are moments like there are these moments that kind of yep. keep you going that you're like, oh, but that was everything I wanted. But like it's just this one moment. And then you remember everything you've watched up until then. And, you're and like, then Agnes Dang. starts singing. Man. See, I, and I that's the thing. I was cool with that. I was actually cool with that. And and so I don't know that my um my takes are valid on this because I just like everything Star of course, Trek. Of like I even I even oh thank you. Um, I even like enjoy Enterprise at times because of how deep it I tends to Enterprise go into the lore. Fun. Yeah. Um, You've watched episodes of Enterprise. Yeah, Jamie made me. Wow, I didn't even know that. No, Jamie made me watch. But you've not watched any DS9. No. 
Wait, oh. I might be wrong. I might not have watched Enterprise. Because part of me thought... You don't have enough faith about... in the heart? No, I don't think I have. I think I might have just been thinking of the original series. Oh, no, that's uh, TOS. That's my bad, guys. No, 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 yeah. See, but I liked the, the original series I watched. Well, it's... Sarah, it's from TOS to Enterprise. It's been a long road. Mm-hmm. TOS from here to there. Don't get me wrong. TOS has its cringiness. It really does. <laughs> if you, I'm just oh yeah. Sorry on on its on this Trek. The sixties were it's. I'm fine. just gonna say it again, mm-hmm. Vocal Fam. If you want to get into Star Trek, if you've not, it, it, just start with season four or three of Deep Space Nine mm-hmm. and watch the rest of Deep Space Nine because yep. that is peak Star Trek. Yeah. Or watch Next Gen. I, I love as much as I love yeah. Next Gen. Next Gen's gonna have a soft spot in my heart. And forever. that was oh, my, absolutely. And that was my Star Trek. I mean, that's Same. what I grew up on. Sure. Same. The last four seasons of Star Trek: Deep Space Nine, there is nothing yeah. like it. Yeah, I still cry on the last montage episode every single time. Oh my! Like every gosh. single time. Anyway, um, but in terms what, of Picard, right? Like yeah. I. I there's a chance that it's just going to be like fan service and everybody's going to be happy sure. and 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 I'm hoping for that honestly right because we're going to have we're going to have service. all of the different char- the former characters I hope that they flesh out the stories well yeah. um they're you know what happened since TNG um or uh, since Nemesis I suppose um but what I fear is because of their history with the with the writing, is that it'll be fan service in that like you know like I was just watching that '90s show on on Netflix. I started watching that right? last night. And, and and it has nice moments, but there's yes. also points where it's just like, oh, there's Fez. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I'm hoping it's not that with Picard. Right. I'm hoping we don't see Worf and we're like, oh, there's Worf. Wow. There's Worf. Oh my gosh. Yeah. But admittedly. I mean, Worf's gonna step foot on with the turtle head on for the first time, and we're gonna all cry a little bit. Absolutely. So I'm I'm hoping for like good backstory. I'm hoping for them u- being used well. Um, and since it's supposed to be the last season, I'm hoping that the writers just like fully lean into, you know, giving us something that we want rather than something that they think they should give us. No, I'm with you. I've heard rumors that we're going to get other season characters. Four. Oh. Uh, from, no, not a season four of that show. I've heard rumors that we're going to get other characters from some of the other Trek canon. Right. Uh, hmm. I've heard rumors of Janeway. Mm-hmm. Um, I have heard rumors of uh, Bashir. Okay. I have well, heard... he's kind of like prevalent nowadays, too. Um, I've heard rumors of uh, Garrick. Did you um, know, by the way, that the that what's his name, Andrew Robson, Robinson, the person who plays yes, yes, Garrick? Yes. Did you know that he was a um, professor of theater at like USC or something? I think huh. I, I think I knew he was a professor of theater somewhere, but I didn't know where. It's yeah, it's one of those Californian schools. Um, so anyway, I have heard rumors that they're going to bring back even other fringe from the other shows characters. Who knows? Um, but it's Star Trek, and I will watch all of them very happily. Yep. Uh, here's a question. Do you... I, I'm interested in your all's take about this. One of the things that a lot of people were worried about with, was that having constant Trek over and over and over again would kind of, like, 
water it down or like make people not enjoy it so much. I've loved always having something Star Trek to watch. What do you what do you think? I I'm in that same camp because I know that's something people talk about too now with like Marvel and Star Wars. Um and I could see how that maybe could happen for people and like I get that's totally valid, but I, I'm a person like if I enjoy something then like I'm just I'm gonna yeah. enjoy it. And even if there are parts that like disappoint me like picard on the whole has been kind of hit or miss for me but it's like you said like i, I am totally gonna watch yeah. this next season absolutely and like if something else were to come out i'd probably keep watching it just because i don't know i love the additions to the lore the world totally. building all of like i'm here for it so my fiance and i honestly we we make time to watch like even lower decks and prodigy lower like we watch lower decks is excellent Star Trek. I love prodigy is not bad the prodigy 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 for a season is that the one it, that's four kids it's nickelodeon yeah okay i haven't watched that one yet but like i could see myself the end it. of season two mm-hmm. was really quite good like it it felt like star trek um right. But Lower Decks, and I can't get my wa- wife to watch Lower Decks because my Lower wife Decks. does not do adult animated So things. I don't usually, but I watch Lower Decks because Star mm-hmm. Trek, Man. and I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Lower well, there's Decks. actually a, for that, there's a, you know, there are these, um, you know, I don't know what I'm, what I'm supposed to say on uh, podcasts that go to professional audiences, but SHIT posting groups. Yeah, 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 um, yeah, yeah. Yes. so there's a Star Trek one yes. and there's this like running theory that the um, writers oh, yes. for Lower Decks are in that group oh, for because sure. jokes for sure. from that group that like meme jokes will yeah. show up on the show on the show that's amazing not only that but on, on Star Trek The Next Conversation they've worked Star Trek The Next Conversation jokes in to the that's show awesome. as well because when they literally had the guy the Temerian come on yeah. He said something like, in the woods with Myra uh, at such and such. And Matt's the host of Star Trek The Next Conversation. That's and he's awesome. friends with one of the writers. And they totally got, like, so, I mean, Very cool. Lower Decks is, like, that yeah, is, that is deep cuts and peak, peak track. Look, the mm-hmm. ability to laugh at yourself is huge. Oh. You know the one over. thing I don't actually like about New Trek? What? All of the uniforms. Oh, oh, same, same. I'm like, with especially you. lower decks. Like, they can go like for through three different uniforms in the same episode. Yes, I remember. What was it? Oh, I think it was when I was watching Discovery that like I think I liked one of their first ones, and then they changed it. And I was like, this is terrible. This is the future. Why are these so ugly? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Discovery. Do better. That's yep. how I felt about the writing. <laughs> but it was in the past. It was so good. And then they went to the future. And then... And they spent seven and a half it got minutes, weird. 12 times an episode, talking about their feelings it while got the universe weird. collapsed around them. Oh, that is... It turns out that's one of my pet peeves, is, like, everything is falling talking apart. Talking about feelings? And, like, no, 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 not talking about feelings, <laughs> but, like... This is about to explode in 30 seconds, but I am going to stop for five minutes and monologue about, about how bad feelings. I feel. Yes. And then act surprised that you couldn't fix it in time. It's one yes. of my pet peeves. <laughs> I am with Sarah on That this. doesn't make sense. That's not how we act as humans. That's that's how Liz acts, right? All, mm-hmm. the, all the time, guys. All the time. You can tell. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, Vogel fam. Well, this has been delightful. Sarah, what would you have for breakfast? Uh, it was another Greek yogurt granola day, but y'all, I'm getting kind of tired of it. I don't Uh-oh. know what's coming next, but... Ooh, it's about the time of year where you usually throw about three weeks of eggs in. Mm. I've been eating a lot of eggs in... 
my other meals, and okay. so also I'd, eggs cost a hundred dollars. Yeah, those, eggs. So. Are, Unless like you're in southeastern Pennsylvania. Yeah, whatever. I, I just got free range eggs for four ninety nine. For how many? A dozen for oh. free range, like blah, organic. Blah blah blah. blah, blah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, no. That's actually Jamie and I did breakfast for dinner one night this week. And eggs are it's like goes, a fancy you know, meal now. Yeah, and he goes, you know, I was feeling like doing a nice treat for myself tonight, and I guess, I guess this is kind of that. And I was I like, I mean, you might as well get that dry, <laughs> bone-aged, bone-aged ribeye. Oh gosh, right? don't, don't even throw that out there, or he'll. Uh, yeah. Same price as eggs. <laughs> uh, my gosh. All right, Joshua, thank you so much. Yeah. Uh, oh, quick shout us. out for the meeting that I have in 15 minutes to longtime listener Yvonne Redman, who is <gasps> awesome. And uh, we're hoping to have Yvonne and Joshua and their colleague Pasquale Botalico uh, on the podcast yeah. maybe in May um, uh, when the semester the calms down to talk about their work on um, uh, perception of room acoustics um, and different singing and different room acoustics. Um, so we look forward to uh, sharing that episode with y'all. We'll, we'll, we'll definitely get that done. And we still got lots of great stuff coming up. Um, and uh, is it next? next? Next week we have Dana on. Yes. Dana Zanobi talking about uh, Voce awesome. Vista, using Voce Vista in a diction class. It's a poster she did last summer that Sarah found fascinating. Yeah, and I thought we're it was gonna cool. Have her on. So. Uh, Absolutely. And then we, we are just two weeks away, Vocal Fam. If you would like to, I still have a, a link I could shoot you if you look at my social media or our social media. Oh, yeah. Um, if you'd like to leave us a brief Vocal Fry message, um, just to say cheers or a, a favorite memory, um, Sarah and I, in two weeks, are celebrating our 200th episode. Yep. Yep. God. See, that'll be feelings. And I won't mind talking about feelings there because nothing, hopefully nothing's going to be, like, exploding. No one's going to be trying to break down the door. Like, no. Nah, feelings. Feelings are okay. In, Not while the universe is collapsing. In the proper time and place <laughs> for them. Yeah. Anyway. But if there are multi-universes, then any time is the right time. There you have it. <laughs> All right, Vocal Fam. Uh, that is it for us. We will see you back uh, next, next week. week. Peace out. Woo.